The following podcast is a Dear Media production. You know those things you are too embarrassed to talk about when it comes to dating? Like when to say I love you, how to define the relationship. Well, We Met at Acme touches upon all of those subjects and more, and we get right into it with our guests and talk about their dating lives and also what not to do when it comes to dating because we're all kind of confused together. So you can tune in every Sunday to We Met at Acme and maybe you can learn a thing or two while I learn a thing or two. I'm Dr. Deepika Chopra, the Optimism Doctor, and this is Looking Up, a place where you can expect to find raw, transparent storytelling. Listen in to learn real science-based techniques to cultivate more optimism, resiliency, and authentic joy from artists, athletes, experts, and many more. So I'm not going to lie. I have always been intrigued by astrology. I mean, I'm Indian. It's pretty threaded through our culture, Vedic astrology and such but I have always been pretty skeptical. I've never really had a holy crap that was so amazing, totally aligning experience with it. So if you have and you want to recommend someone or a book or an astrological practice, please submit. I am so open to receive. This is all pretty much the reason I was super excited to invite Cosmopolitan's resident astrologer and author, Aliza Kelly, on this episode of Looking Up. She writes horoscopes for Cosmo magazine and hosts the weekly podcast Stars Like Us. We got to sit down and chat about the intersection between psychology and astrology. And as so many of you submitted requests of wanting to listen to a mini live birth chart reading, well, we did. My birth chart. Turns out I'm a Leo sun sign with a cancer rising and my moon is in Gemini. You can listen in to hear a little bit more about what the heck that means. I didn't shy away from my science brain type questions, and Eliza did such a fantastic job at breaking the art of astrology down in such a relatable, easy to understand way. I love how her approach is all about utilizing the cosmos, along with empathy, intuition, and mathematics to help provide us with tools to self-actualize and sharpen our free will really helping to dismantle some of our preconceived ideas that astrology can just be limited to some sort of predetermined life and oftentimes used as a crutch for not wanting to make real change. When I asked her about the astrology of 2020, she said, if you are alive right now, you are here for a reason. I'm just going to let that sink in for a bit. Okay, and now on to our show. Before we kind of get into the actual core of the podcast, the way that looking up starts is I'm going to ask you a series of very short sort of rapid fire style questions. This is sort of just a nice way to get to know my guest a little more intimately and for the listeners to do so as well. So don't think about it too much. No judgment. Just answer first thing that comes to your mind. Love it. Okay. Aliza, uh, is there a book that you have read that has actually changed the way in which you live your life? There are so many books that I have read that change the way that I live my life. So I am going to tell you the most recent book that I've read that has changed the way I live my life. And it is actually, it's sort of like a a book for writers. It's called The Art of Memoir by Mary Carr. I read it while I was writing my book, while I was working on my manuscript, my most recent one. 
Mary Carr, who's just an extraordinary writer, extraordinary memoirist, the way that she talks about truth telling and veracity and this concept of honesty and like just the importance and the significance of that. And also like the complexity of it, like how objective it is and like it's, you know, it or subjective, you know, and like the fact that my version of the truth is different from your version, but that doesn't mean that either are invalid. So we really just need everybody's truths to be heard in order for us to know what we're working with. And so much of my work as an astrologer is holding space for other people to share their truth, to, to sort of validate others' experiences through this language. So seeing that within a literary framework was just like, I feel like it just really cracked a lot of creative opportunities open for the way that I could imagine sort of translating the work that I'm doing astrologically into lots of different fields. I love that. Second question. People think I'm blank, but I'm actually blank. I think that people probably think I am more set in my ways than I am. I think people think that I am more confident in certain things than I am. I'm I'm very open to changing my mind, but mm. I'm a Leo with the Capricorn rising. So I think that I externalize as being like, this is the way it is. I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm doing. But like, I'm always down to change things up. So I think that that's maybe the answer. But I also like, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Okay. Three words to describe yourself as a teenager in the high school years. Insecure confident <laughs> and curious. Mm. And when is the last time that you cried? Well, I haven't cried today, <laughs> which means I probably cried yesterday or if not yesterday, the day before. Yesterday happened to be my birthday. So I don't think I cried yesterday, <sighs> but I would say it's very rare that 48 hours will go by without me crying. Happy birthday to a fellow Leo. The last question is three things that have brought you joy today. My friends who are celebrating my birthday with me, my community of Constellation Club members who I'm going to be seeing in just a few hours for our new moon manifestation, and my consciousness. I love that. So many things I'm so excited to talk to you about on the astrology front. My birthday was August 4th. And one of the things when I asked my community, we were having you on that a bunch of people asked about, they were like, we want a live mini chart reading. I know you need some personal information, but I think maybe my assistant sent that your way earlier, I'm hoping. <laughs> yes, I have your info. Let me pull it up and we can take a look. Ooh, so, I'm like nervous, but also excited. I have your date, time, and location of birth. So I have all of your deets here. The interesting thing about a birth chart reading, and this is what I tell every client when we begin our session, is that we use the birth chart through your entire life. We are always referring to the same, the same damn document, right? It's like <laughs> the same chart, nothing... There's change that happens, like you can use different techniques to progress it. You could look at transits, you know, there's different things we can do with it. But fundamentally, the chart is always the same. And that means that every time we look at it, we're looking for something different mm. because we're growing and our perspective is changing and we might notice something or be interested in something 
today that we were not interested in six months ago or five mm -hmm. years ago. And the same applies to the future. So I can do a birth chart reading for you gladly, but I am curious also about what you're curious about, because mm -hmm. we can, we could talk about trauma. We could talk about money. We could talk about your family. We could talk about your childhood. We could talk about you as a little old lady. So <laughs> it's, it's, there's so, and that's the cool thing about astrology. You know, it's kind of like each yes. chart reading is custom tailored for that individual experience. I love that you described it like that because I'm an optimism doctor and I study the brain and my specialty is really blending together holistic practices with real evidence-based science, but I am very drawn to science and neuropsychology particularly. And one of the things you said, of course, just makes my brain tick up with, I always tell people the power of of thought and, and sort of what you're tuning into. And there's a neuro point for that, like an, an actual scientific basis for it. But I'm like always saying it's like an example I use is when you get a new car and all of a sudden you go out on the, on the highway and every single person is driving the same car as you. And it's not because all of a sudden there's that new car or, you know, I paid them everyone to drive it's like some big experiment, like go take out this car around this person. It, they were, it was always there. It's just, you weren't looking for it. And now it's mm -hmm. what you're looking for. Cause it's in, mm -hmm. it's in the forefront of your thought process now. And it's what you're aware of. And so that's so interesting. And I have so many questions about astrology in general, because I feel extremely drawn to it. I'm Indian. And I feel like culturally, my culture is that like for generations and generations, like it's just natural for people to have astrologers as part of their like, they ask astrologers for every step in which they make their lives or like if a union is good went before they get married or even like, you know, a house. And I actually... I'm so interested, I think, because of that, but also I'm interested because I've definitely gone through different phases of skepticism and I never have had that moment of like a spot on. This makes so much sense. Aha. I've always wanted it. And so I feel like I'm always searching for it mm -hmm. <laughs> to what you were asking. If there was a specific thing I was curious about having the background that I have, I think I'm much more curious about my future than I am about sort of past or past experiences or things that have already happened, traumas or, or, or not, I'm really interested in future and in all realms of life, whether it's family, career, health. I'm always more interested in that. So. so a couple of different things, and we'll skew this to talking about your future in just a moment. But I, as an astrologer, I'm, I'm impossible because so much of astrology is about, you know, what are the next steps? What is a good decision? What does this look like for me? And all I want to do is talk about the past. And the mm. reason for this is because we are constantly moving through cycles. Mm. We are moving through little cycles, like the moon's little cycle, it's 28 day cycle. And we're moving through annual cycles, like your birthday, you know, a solar year. And then we're moving through Saturn cycles, which are 29 years. We're moving through Pluto cycles, which are 248 years that transcend our lifetime, but that we're still participating in because mm. that is still a cycle that is unfolding in our lifetime. So 
in order for us to really understand the future, we need to look at the past. We need to be mm -hmm. able to understand how things have unfolded in these past iterations of these cycles so that we can see, okay, well, we're going to have Jupiter connecting with Saturn on this day. What did that look like last time it happened? What were the themes? Because that's an opportunity. We're going to see sort of similar storylines, similar narratives come back up. But this gives us an opportunity to take more, have agency, to make mm. choices, and to distinctly break cycles or enhance or amplify other cycles by applying our free will to this secret sauce of astrology. So I'm so glad I'm you talked gonna, about I'm not that. Do that with you now. But. Okay. No, but I'm so glad that you brought that up because so much like that's like the core of this. I want to be like, how can we use astrology to actually help ourselves? take action and break cycles and, and exercise free will and, and get to know ourselves even better, you know, and, and actually make real change in our lives rather than utilizing it in a way that's more passive and, well, this is going to happen or this has already happened and this is why, and it just is what it is and there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. And I think a common misconception about astrology is that it can be used as a tool for pigeonholing or justifying yes. being like, well, I'm just, this is me, so take it or leave it. But it's like, no, where you have your placements are places for you to grow and learn and to, you know, they're there not to keep you stuck. They're there because they're offering lessons in that space. So, you know, if we see a ton of, and you and I are both Leos, a ton of Leo energy is not just an excuse to just walk around acting like you're the sun all the time. It's also an opportunity for you to redirect your sun when you need to, you know, to hold the spotlight onto other people. We can learn from the Aquarians, the other side of Leo, our opposite, how to disperse and spread that solar energy. So our placements aren't just excuses and opportunities mm -hmm. for us to be like, <laughs> I don't have to do any work on myself because I'm this way. They actually right. are invitations for us to self-actualize and become these sort of the best versions of ourselves that we can be. I love that. So it's more like utilizing astrology as a tool. Yes. So I actually don't know much about my own. I know I'm a Leo. I have no idea what my rising is. I have no idea. Is there something else besides a rising? My following? There's so many. There are so, there's so many. I don't know. So, what am I? So in the astrology that I practice, which is Western astrology, which is uses the tropical system. So basically we use the tropics of Cancer and Capricorn as our boundaries of time and space. So there might be some difference between okay. if you ever had your chart done before or if you do get it done by a Vedic astrologer. But my interpretation is that you're a Leo sun with a Cancer rising and a moon in Gemini. So that's just the tip of the iceberg. But we like to start there because that's a good, you know, all of the planets and celestial bodies are mapped and tracked and all of them have a symbolic purpose and significance. And the way that they relate to one another is sort of the way that your chart comes to life. But we like to start with the sun, moon and rising because it's sort of like, you know, the sun is how you take up space. Your rising is sort of how the scene is set. And your moon is how you feel about the whole damn thing. So your rising sign is going to show you what kind of, well, as a Leo, you'll appreciate this. If you're if coming into life as if it's a play, your rising <laughs> sign is going to show you what the theme of that play is. 
And then your sun sign is going to show you sort of how you, as your main character, take the stage. What does that look like when you step into your into your narrative of your life? And then your moon is kind of like, I mean, on one hand, the moon's kind of like the audience being like, how do I feel about this production? But it's also you being like, oh, God, I'm not doing well, or like, I like what I'm doing, or this inspires me, and I feel excited. So those are the, the sun, moon, and rising is sort of like what a lot of people use to start to dive in and go deeper. We then have all of the other planets and they're all doing their own things. But from there, we we already can see a lot of tension with the sun, mm. moon, and rising stuff. We can see how things are comparable, how they conflict with one another, and how they can sort of harmonize. So for instance, your sun and your moon are meeting in a very beautiful, harmonious connection called the sextile in astrology. Your sun in Leo is actually exactly 60 degrees away from your moon, and they form this really nice connection. Your sun says, I love to show up. I love to be here. I love to, you know, I, it's, I enjoy sort of like creating community. And if I'm the center of that community, it's okay. I don't mind because that's what community is all about. And your moon, which is in Gemini, it's an intellectual air sign, is really fed and nurtured by information, by knowledge, by language, by curiosity, by studying. So there is a really nice dynamic between sort of how you externalize and then how you feel satiated by that externalization. Mm. Your rising, on the other hand, is doing a little bit of something different. So the (laughs) rising, which is setting the scene, is in Cancer. And Cancer rising I have found that Cancer and Capricorn risings are the two risings that just have this perpetual chip on their shoulder. As as a Capricorn rising, I can speak to this personally <laughs> of like, why do I always have to do so much more? And mm. the Cancer rising is why do I always have to feel so much more than everyone else? And mm. the Capricorn rising says, why do I have to work so much harder than everyone else? But the Cancer and Capricorn in our charts sort of symbolize the way we mother ourselves and the fa- and father ourselves respectively. So with a cancer rising, you're very aware of like, if I'm not nurturing myself, no one else is going to. And I am willing to step up and be the nurturer for as many people as I need to, but nobody does this back to me. And that is what sets the scene for why you are a Leo in the first place, you know? So it actually is more about the rising sign that sort of gives the sun sign the direction to take its stage. So in your case, the cancer rising is like, I need to find, you know, I need to self-parent. I need to give myself love. I need to find protection and safety and security in my life on an emotional level. And the only way I'm going to be able to achieve that is by building community for me, my way as a Leo son. And what's going to satiate me is information and knowledge. You hate when people lie to you. You hate when people are not direct when you don't understand what's going on, because that is going to make you feel threatened. It's going to make you feel like you are actually like your personal inter, like your internal safety system is being compromised. Mm. So it's really important that you always get good information from people. And if you feel like someone is being shady or dodgy or like not being forthcoming, you got to just interrogate them to hell. Because you need to know or else you're going to, you won't be able to sleep. Yeah, I definitely can relate to that. I feel like as a kid also, I've always been obsessed with justice. 
to like a fault. I can't move forward if things are not fair. And it's something I've had to learn as an adult. A lot of times in life, things are not fair. But the person that suffers the most is me when I'm the one ruminating and how unfair it is, <laughs> even if it's for mm-hmm. someone else. And so I think that and I yes, I hate being lied to. I hate it. <laughs> I, it's hard for me to like I, I have a lot of trust in people. But when someone breaks that, it's it's tough to tough to look away, you know, and if I feel something inside of me, like an intuition saying like this is not right, I, I always have to get to the bottom of it. Like I can't just like. Yes. Interesting. Yes. And your and with the, your chart also shows that you're much more sensitive than I think people realize that you are. Oh, yeah. I'm a highly sensitive person. <laughs> yeah. And even though I guess in a sort of similar way, like, you know, people may see you as very confident, as very together. You really rely on it's not so much validation, but it's like you need help, too. You know, like you yeah. also need like, you know, show support for your strong friends like you are sort of the poster child of that, of like, yeah, just because I have done all of these things and it appears that things are together doesn't mean that they actually are. And people not seeing that in you is very frustrating. Mm-hmm. So, so right on, especially for what I do. I feel like I've shared this before, not actually on the podcast, but I feel like even going into the work that I've gone into, even as a child, I was always sort of the go-to person to mediate or to solve a problem with people or for people, even in my family. And then as an adult, like choosing to go in the path that I have and, and being an optimism doctor even and and going into psychology, um, you know, within that, I feel like oftentimes I'm, I get this throwback even from people that I know love me so much that are like, why are you feeling that way? Or why are you upset? Like you're an optimism doctor or like you're, you studied psychology, like you should you shouldn't be upset or you shouldn't be sad. Like, this is what you do. And it's like, but I'm a human too. It's why I think over the last couple of years, I've really made it a point to be very transparent of my own journey, especially doing what I do and showing people that I'm on the journey too. And I'm human and I share my struggles as much as I share, you know, my research. And so I think that it's so true what you say, though, because in my own personal life with the people that care about me the most and I care about and I'm intimate with, no, no fault to them. I think it's just something that is hard for people to see that you can be in vulnerable situations and and feel those all those feelings too, even if, you know, you're the one that helps hold it together for others or like, for God's sakes, it's what you do for a living. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's something, and I obviously I'm sure, I mean, you can speak to this on, this is your expertise. But for me, I think that I'm really interested in destigmatizing conflict. You know, I think that it's really important when somebody when I get on the phone with a client and I, you know, I'm asking them questions, just getting a sense of sort of where we are in time and space and what their journey has been. And they make a point to tell me about how great their parents are, how great their partner is, how great everyone is interpersonally. My red flags are just, you know, their curtains. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like I'm draped in red flags, not because I don't think that people are good people, but I think people are complicated people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when somebody comes in to, you know, if someone really tries to emphasize how great everyone is, everything is, all their relationships are, I know that (laughs) that's not true Yeah, because that's not the point. You know what I mean? It doesn't, that's not what we're looking at. Right. And and that kind of goes in line with something I've been talking a lot about recently is educating people on toxic positivity. 
you know, of course, if it's authentic, then that's authentic. But oftentimes we, it comes from an inauthentic place where it's, you know, the good vibes only or don't worry about it. Just be happy or, you know, like not not being OK with having any feeling that is not OK. And it's yeah. completely fine to not be OK. It's normal to not be OK. And I always say as humans, we were actually built to experience the full range of emotions. And it's that full range of emotions, actually, that is what helps us increase happiness and joy and resiliency and optimism and so on. And if someone's walking around, just everything is positive all the time and everything's great and perfect all the time. Um, that's pretty inhumane. That's not human. Yes. Yes. So how did you even get into astrology? Did this, you know, I, I wonder often with astrology, is it a calling? I mean, I'm sure it's different for everyone. Is there like an intuitive piece to it? Or is it more almost, I don't know, sometimes astrology seems very mathematical and sort of more of a learned practice. How did you get into it? And also, what are your thoughts on how other people can get into it? Well, you know, I think that there's so many different ways to answer that question. I would say that all roads start with the fact that I did not plan on becoming an astrologer. I don't mm -hmm. think most kids, at least maybe the next generation will, but at least for me, like that was not on the agenda when I was like <laughs> moving through elementary and high school. And yeah, you weren't on the path to astrology 101, astrology 102. <laughs> No. And when I was in college, I was not studying. <laughs> yeah, I was not studying astrology. I had I had different career goals and I thought things would be, you know, I just it was not the original plan. But through a lot of sort of synchronicitous happenstance, and I believe there are no coincidences. So it was just there's a lot of sort of mystic, like there would have never been another path. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, is that I was also extraordinarily fragmented at that time. And I was losing my sense of self completely. I was so broken. And when astrology came into my life, astrology first came into my life as a Capricorn rising is sort of like, a, this is a, what a wonderful business opportunity. There's no astrology dating app. People love astrology. I think astrology is cool. I'm going to make an astrology dating app. So I was not an astrologer. I was just sort of like, a, wow, what a wonderful opportunity. And it was through working with the astrologers, through learning this content, through building this product that I started to become more and more aware of how the language was holding space for the things in my life that there was no other way for me to describe them. Mm -hmm. The complicated past, the very complicated feelings, like all of the things that were going wrong <laughs> and all of the things that had gone wrong were like there in this way that made me feel like there was finally a witness to my experience. And then as I sort of dipped in and out and my company failed and then I tried to be a normal person again. And as I sort of rode through like, how do I integrate back into my life with astrology? It just became more and more clear that it wasn't an integration. It was like, it had to be fully immersive. It was the only way that I was going to be able to really understand. It was the only way I could really understand the world. And it was also the only thing that was working. I could not hold a job. Everything was falling apart all around me all the time. Like everything, I was always disappointed. Astrology has never disappointed me. Hmm. Astrology has always been green lights. You know, it's my relationship with astrology has always been just like, 
I'm so passionate about it and I'm so excited by it. You know, so in some ways it feels sort of predetermined, but in other ways it also feels like prescriptive. It feels like medicine. It feels like this is the way that I can function. And then through these tools and having now worked for eight years as an astrologer, it's the way I can also help other people too. So do you, do you think that the tool and, and when you found astrology and the way that you're speaking of it, your relationship with it, it's, it's how you used astrology for yourself or got to know yourself through astrology. And then you realized working with others was also bringing you the same type of joy. And it sounds like it's obviously very enmeshed with your personal life, right? Mine is. I would say that, you know, there are, I guess, you know, there are certainly some people who can compartmentalize their life. I would probably argue that most people, well, over the years I've talked to, you know, I've worked with thousands of people and I feel like part of the growth of my practice. And as you said, you know, it starts, starts very small, starts with understanding your own chart and starting to understand that language. But I was also much younger and my scope was much smaller in many ways, but being able to then start to add more and more and more. So I feel like I'm not just a container for astrology. I'm also a container for thousands of people's stories that I've Mm -hmm. heard and use that as reference points for understanding the things, the commonalities that so many of us share. Now, someone who seeks an appointment with an astrologer, one could argue is maybe not everybody, Mm -hmm. right? There's going to be a certain demographic, spiritual, intellectual similarities between those folks in general. But I have found that of the people I work with, most people want more integration. Mm. You know, Mm -hmm. most people don't like to feel fragmented and fractured and want there to be some sort of a fusion between how they're making money and how who they are as an individual. And when those are not aligned, you know, it, it makes us feel very unseen. Yeah. And that's when we start becoming very secretive too. Do you think that most people in your sample size of who you work with, do they come to you more with relationship questions or career? What's the most popular thing that people are seeking out? It changes as the collective conscious changes. Mm -hmm. I would say that right now, everybody wants to know about their purpose. Yes. I would echo that just in in the work that I do too. You know, part of the work that I do is is from the start helping people understand what their true purpose is and what their values are and their quote unquote true calling or sense of self and their placement in the world and what they can offer and, and what they want to receive and et cetera. And I feel like with everything going on right now, that's been a big shift. People are just wanting to align so much more with their values and their their purpose. And it makes a lot of sense. I think that sort of goes hand in hand with also collectively going through something traumatic. Mm-hmm. But that's so interesting. And in that I've seen, I, I am seeing that echoing in so many different industries, just things in general, like there's a lot less fluff. Everyone's cutting out fluff, like in all aspects. How I have so many questions bubbling up right now. So my first question is, so Gemini moon of you. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> My first question is, if there's someone else on the planet that was born at the exact same time as me, same day, but different location, are we super similar astrologically speaking 
or does that location change everything? Or I remember there was a girl that I went to middle school with that was born within minutes of me at the same hospital. Are we like the same person? Because we weren't. Um, You are not the same person because (laughs) from the very second that you come out of the womb into this or wherever you come out, however you arrive, you are reacting to stimuli. You know, this is why twins are not going to be the same. Yeah. Like, you know, two twins come out. They have almost identical birth charts. One twin gets held by the mom. The other twin is having a little, you know, is is struggling to breathe a little bit more, goes into, you know, needs a little bit more assistance from the nurse, from the doctor's team. Already the charts are reacting differently, right? Same rising, same placements, same moon, everything the same. The experiences are different. How does that reflect in your charts? Like for you to read, let's say you're reading their chart. If you don't know anything about them, environmentally speaking, but you're just looking at their chart or when you have a reading with someone, are you asking questions in a traditional chart reading and sort of like getting to know, like, does that make sense? Like if you, I spend, I would say that the conversation is 50% me, 50% them because I can't interpret the chart without understanding the environment. Okay. So it's how you interpret. It's all there and it might be similar, like for example, for twins, but how you're interpreting sort of what they're saying and what they talk about, you can interpret different meanings in what's there that matches more to them. And so do you ever do chart readings? Or I guess you kind of do when you give horoscopes, let's say, to people without ever meeting them or talking to them. How valid is that? Is that the right word? Like, is it always obviously more preferable to actually have someone in front of you or on the phone with you to give a proper well, horoscopes, horoscopes and birth chart readings are totally different practices. Okay. Horoscopes are, um, there's 12 variations of how the, the, the planets are going to impact us based on the 12 signs of the Zodiac. The birth chart is a very complicated map. Okay. So, you know, the process of writing, they're all, it's all under astrology, but the process is completely different. You know, you have a different process with horoscope astrology from birth chart astrology, from compatibility to mundane astrology, which is actually geopolitical astrology, which is different from horary. Like there are so many different types of astrology. Okay. That makes perfect sense. And my next question is, this might be really general, um, but I feel like I've got to ask it. Are there specific signs or risings or moons that are more optimistic than others? And what are they? There aren't. I mean, it just depends so much on the the whole chart needs to be reflected. And it's environmental. You know, someone who has the chart structured around being a very cheery and positive person who has was raised in an extremely toxic environment right. is going to manifest that energy very differently than someone who has very, you know, who has parents who were like really encouraging that energy. Okay. So what I'm coming down to, which is, which I'm learning and good is that the more detail that you have about a person and their experience and sort of their environment and their, their experiences that they've been through, the more obviously specific and detailed you can really get in a chart and really interpret it correctly. Yes. Okay. And what is the difference between, I know 
textbook what the difference between a psychic and an astrologer is. It seems like different ways of getting information or come from different places. But is there a level of intuition or intuitiveness that goes into a talented astrologer? Or do you know what I mean? Is there sort of a, is that a necessity to make a talented astrologer? That is a very debated question. Okay. You know, there are some astrology, astrology can be extraordinarily mathematical, Mm -hmm. scientific. You can have no personal touch. I think that what makes me a good astrologer is the fact that I'm a very sensitive person Mm -hmm. and that I use my intuition to help navigate very difficult conversations. But one could argue that that doesn't make me a good astrologer. It makes me a good like counselor. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think that it would be weird to be an astrologer who lacked empathy. Mm -hmm. But I certainly there are lots of astrologers who do. So I don't know. (laughs) Okay, my next question uh, is more personal. I'm a Leo, as as you know, and now I know that my rising is a cancer and my moon is a Gemini. Now I know that. But my husband is a Scorpio. Is there any like generalities? I know you do a lot of you do talk about compatibility. And the first thing that you were doing in the beginning was was actually a dating app and stuff. What do you have to say about me and my Scorpio husband? Anything? (laughs) Well, I can only tell you what I know, which is where Scorpio illuminates your birth chart. And Scorpio illuminates the area of your chart that is connected to children and creativity Mm. and play and fun and love and passion. And just based on you interpreting his sun sign, it looks lovely. However, this does not mean I don't know how he feels about you. I don't know how you feel about <laughs> the way he feels. I don't know how you feel about yeah. his past. I don't know how you feel about his future. But just based on ha- me having your chart and me knowing he is a son in Scorpio, yeah, that looks very lovely. That's cool. Is that the same as saying before I was married and I came to you and you said the Scorpio part of your chart, it looks like if it's children and all this stuff that it looks like you're going to like you'd be good with the Scorpio. Is that something you would have said or is that just? Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I mean, I do have children with him. So yeah, that's so cool. Okay. And are there any, and I know, again, this is very general, but I feel like this is what people want to know these like, and I'm sure this has come somewhat with the magazine writing and horoscopes, but people want to know, like, what are some signs that just do not go together? And of course, this is a caveat that like, I'm sure it's not always the case, but are there specific signs that are just like, ugh? I would say, yeah, so a lot of prefacing, you know, we we want to, compatibility is not good or bad. It just is. Right. Everyone is, you know, we're all activating and inspiring and triggering and traumatizing each yes. other in different ways all the time. Generally speaking, there's an easier alignment between the fire and the air signs and the water and the earth signs. So that means... So the fire signs are Aries, Leo, Sagittarius, and the air signs are Gemini, Libra, and Aquarius. And generally those get along really easy. And then there are the water signs, which are Cancer, Scorpio, and Pisces, and Mm. the Earth, Taurus, Virgo, and Capricorn. And those tend to get along a little bit more symbiotically. 
this is so cool, especially about the rising and the moon, because I feel like I've, I don't know too much about this, but I feel like there's been people in my life that have been like, you're a Leo, you must have a different rising. And I was like, I, from some of the stuff I've read about Leo, I kind of, I can identify with that. And they're like, no, like you must have another, like something in your rising. So I think that's so interesting that it's these other parts as well. You know, there's so many misconceptions, common misconceptions about astrology and stereotypes. And are there any in particular, I know we've talked about a couple that you sort of work on debunking or you feel like you have to work on debunking a lot? Well, I don't really feel like what what a Leo thing I'm about to say. Like when I want to, yeah, I feel like that's when I, when I want to make it a point to drill home a concept that astrology of, of either it being or not being something. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, I mean, I am an astrologer, you know, like right. I, this is my career. This is my profession. It has been for a really long time. If someone is being combative with me, like they've right. kind of, they're, they're not going to evangelize me. They've come to the wrong person, you know? So it's like either like you like what I'm offering or you just, you don't, you don't. Right. <laughs> and that's cool. But I'm not ever going to like try to like convince someone astrology is real or isn't real, you know? No, I totally get that. And probably someone that's calling you up for a session obviously is calling you up for a session. So you don't have you're not put in that position. But I guess I want to reframe that not necessarily about its validity, but just about like how we talked about that astrology is not necessarily about everything being predetermined and you have no choice and free will is is not part of that or it's not the cure all for everything. So more like, I guess, a better way to to ask that might be how can people how do you suggest that people can use and implement astrology into their daily lives to help them become a better version of themselves? I would say that uh, starting with the birth chart, well, starting wherever you want to start, really. I mean, if you want to start with Cosmo, if you want to start with your Kuwi horoscopes, if you want to start with a birth chart reading, working with an astrologer, just starting to expand your universe and bring more truth into your life by allowing multiple truths to be true simultaneously Mm -hmm. is the best thing that astrology can offer Mm -hmm. is that is is it shines a flashlight on all of the different spots of the disco ball you know Mm -hmm. it's like when the whole sphere of astrology as a disco ball it's like all of those tiny little mirrors are true and depending on what we want to look at those will be shining and some will be in the dark Mm -hmm. but all of but the whole thing is you know so just right calling things out more being sort of like bringing more light to things bringing more truth just allowing that awareness of you know, sort of allowing ourselves to lose our ego a little bit and see that we are deeply complicated. And I think just recognizing and acknowledging that is like the most liberating thing. I think another thing that I'm going to use from it too, that I think so powerful, and I just was thinking about it was if you get to know these other facets that are, that are there and part of you, it does sort of help to shape and show you what you do truly value and what your purpose is and how you can get more of that and what you need. But also if you sort of tend to go a certain way and 
it's not effective or not helping you, then sort of being able to remind yourself and being like, this is something that I want. This is a point of change I'd like to make. And sort of like, this is not going to be easy because change never is. And maybe I've been doing this for 30 plus years. And so recognizing that, that this is how I would be on auto and maybe even astrology is there to confirm it. Like, yes, that resonates, but it doesn't mean that that's how you have to be if you don't want to. And I think that's the point in which, you know, does get misconceived um, or misread when people think of astrology. It's like you could use it as a point of change rather than, you know, what we talked about before, like, oh, that just confirms this is who I am. And even if it's not going well, I'll just stick with it because that's just who I am. So my last sort of question that I want to ask you is about this year. I'm sure you've been getting this a lot. What does astrology say about this year? (laughs) 2020. Uh, It says that this year is uh, major. (laughs) Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I can, I don't, that's definitely not something that can be very neatly packaged. Right. But let's just say that it just so happens that tons of cycles are ending and beginning at the same exact time. Mm. So the astrology of 2020 is supercharged in that we have tons of storylines that are basically uh, concluding. Is that something that previously, I mean, when you looked to 2020 um, in, in the cycles that you saw coming? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's something I've been talking about for a very long time, mm-hmm. but a lot of astrologers have. Is there something that you can leave us with that we can feel a sense of hope with um, optimistically in the charts that are coming at some point in the next year or few years? <laughs> yes. The astrology of 2020 is so unusual that if you are alive right now, you are here for a reason. Mm. Wow. It is very, we are seeing very, very unusual astrology right now. Powerful astrology that humans have not witnessed for upwards of 500 years. So if you are here, that means that you're supposed to be. It is Mm -hmm. no accident. Mm, I like that. That actually just gave me the chills. So my last question for you is what's looking up? Yeah. So I, so in addition to Cosmo and, and my podcast stars like us and all of the different activities and facets of of the work that I do, I am always so excited to introduce people to the Constellation Club, which is an online community for people who are interested in this kind of stuff. All of that information lives on my website, but it also really all lives on Instagram, which is like any good millennial where I find myself hanging out the most. So I, if you're curious about this type of stuff, I encourage you to follow me at Eliza Kelly. And also check out the Constellation Club because you'll meet some of the most amazing like-minded people from all around the world of all different demographics hanging out and just chatting about this stuff. Do you have an astrology mentor? I do. Yes, I have two. I have two teachers, Annabelle Gatt and Ann Ortley, who I've been working with for many, many years. Cool. Okay. The last thing that we do on the Looking Up podcast is I pick a card for you from my things are looking up optimism deck of cards. And I joke with my guests that you didn't know it when you signed up, but the podcast comes with a small amount of homework. So, oh, great. <laughs> ooh, and I just pick a random card. And for some reason, it does always connect. I hope this is your card. 
As empathic creatures, our emotions are so often swayed by someone else's experience. Try and commit to spending the entire day strong in your own emotional state, even while around so many others. You know what it's like. You can be having a great day, then you walk into an elevator at work and you are listening to someone complain about the traffic, the bad coffee, the overwhelming amount of have-tos on their to-do list. Then you catch yourself joining in, just merely trying to relate. Now you're having a bad day and noticing all the things that have the ability to bother you. Try doing the exact opposite. Listen, witness, have empathy, but stay true to your own experience. Oh my gosh, this is like what you do for a living. Yes, and it's also what I'm doing right now because and it's also it is doing. my birthday and I have, I'm having all of these birthday experiences. Yes, that's so cool. Well, that's your homework for the remainder of the day. Uh, no matter whose story you're hearing, of course, show up, be empathic, do what you do, but try to try to stay true to your own. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks so much for coming on Looking Up. I learned so much Thank and you. I'm actually like you totally piqued my interest and I mean, it was already peaked, but in like a different way. And there were some aha moments for me within astrology in this. And I'm like really interested to find more about uh, my particular chart. So I'm going to be reaching out and then I will follow up with everyone out there. I'm, I would love to get like a full on chart reading with you. Let's do it. Okay. Thanks right. so much. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Looking Up. For more optimistic content, follow me at Dr. Deepika Chopra. For more info on how to get your very own Things Are Looking Up optimism deck of cards, head to thingsarelookingup.co. If you like what you hear and you want to support the show, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Our theme music is Me and Shaw Day by Tommy, courtesy of Terrible Records. I'm your host, Dr. Deepika Chopra, and I'll see you next Monday for your weekly dose of optimism.